Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Wednesday, May 31st. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. One person is dead and another four are missing and presumed lost after their charter fishing vessel sank in rough seas near Sitka on Sunday. An extensive air and sea search turned up no sign of the missing individuals. The Coast Guard suspended operations on Monday evening. Catherine Rose reports from Sitka. On the evening of May 28th, Kingfisher Charters notified the Coast Guard that one of its boats was overdue with five people on board. The boat had last been seen near Cape Edgecombe. Coast Guard Public Affairs Officer Ian Gray says an air crew found it on Sunday evening partially submerged near Low Island, about 10 miles southwest of Sitka. We discovered a half-submerged vessel at around 6.03 p.m. Sunday night, conducted a search effort to find the five individuals that were missing. We located one in the water, an older adult male who was not wearing a personal flotation device, um, and he was deceased. The Coast Guard continued their search throughout the next day for the remaining four people who were missing from the boat. With a helicopter crew, a plane from Kodiak, the fast response cutter Douglas Denman, the Sitka Fire Department's emergency response vessel, and several Good Samaritan vessels on the scene. Over 20 hours, they scoured a wide area, over 820 square miles. Gray says the search was called off around 9.30 on Monday evening. It's an unfortunate outcome as of right now. You know, to, to, to suspend a case is always a, a hard uh, decision to make, you know, at the very top with Admiral Moore. Um, but after searching over 20 hours, uh, you know, those decisions were made ultimately. And it, it, it's uh, our hearts to go out to the, the families of the victims and the missing. Names of the victims have not been released to the public. An investigation into the accident is ongoing, but Grace says so far it doesn't look like the vessel ran aground. The initial divers that dove on the boat to examine the vessel uh, didn't it didn't indicate that the vessel struck anything. There wasn't a, a big hole in the hull of the vessel that indicated that they struck anything to make it sink. After the search was called off, local marine salvage company Hanson Maritime took over salvage efforts and was working to remove the boat from the water on Tuesday afternoon. The loss of five people aboard the charter vessel is the worst maritime tragedy in the area since a chartered float plane went down en route from Sitka to Warm Springs Bay in September 2004. No sign of the plane, its pilot, or its four passengers has ever been found. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The United States Department of Justice will appeal a federal court order forcing the closure of the commercial king salmon troll fishery in southeast Alaska. In early May, Washington U.S. District Court Judge Richard Jones upheld an earlier recommendation that the southeast summer and winter king fisheries were catching too much of the food source of a dwindling population of southern resident killer whales in Puget Sound in violation of the Endangered Species Act. Judge Jones's order required the fishery closures and required the National Marine Fisheries Service to vacate and rewrite the rules that allow for the fisheries to happen. The DOJ's notice to appeal was submitted on May 23rd on behalf of the Department of Commerce and the National Marine Fisheries Service. 
The defendant interveners in the case, the Alaska Trollers Association and the state of Alaska, filed motions in early May calling for a partial stay of the order pending an appeal to allow for the fisheries to proceed. The state argued that the court order had failed to account for the economic, cultural and social harm to the troll fleet and southeast Alaska. The lawsuit was originally filed by the Wild Fish Conservancy to protect an endangered population of southern resident killer whales in Puget Sound. The Washington-based nonprofit also appealed and asked for an injunction vacating a prey increase program intended to mitigate the effects of the southeast troll troll harvest by by rearing king salmon in hatcheries. They argued that the hatchery program doesn't go far enough to mitigate the risks to both wild king salmon and killer whales. On May 26th, both requests for stays from the state and the Wild Fish Conservancy were denied. Judge Jones wrote that the court extensively reviewed the economic concerns raised by the state and the trollers, but found that the consequences, quote, did not overcome the seriousness of the National Marine Fisheries Service's violations. And in his rejection of the Wild Fish Conservancy's request, Jones wrote that vacating the prey increase program would have cascading impacts to commercial and recreational fisheries in Washington that aren't involved in the lawsuit. The small island community of Petersburg celebrated its ties to Norwegian culture as well as the start to the fishing season in mid-May. Visiting musicians flew in for the town's Little Norway Festival, but they also shared the stage with some homegrown talent. Ashon McKay, who performs under the name Lul Realist X, is a Petersburg-based fisherman and rat musician. And sometimes, he even raps about fishing. Here's more. The night of Lil Realist X's first show of the year, and local watering hole Keto's Cave is packed from the stage to the very back of the bar. Lil Realist superfans are all sitting up front. Shirley Yip is one of them, and she's decked out in his merch. She, along with many others at her front stage table, knew Ashon from childhood. Yip says she got an iTunes gift card as a high school graduation present, and she remembers using it to buy his very first album. I remember um, he would do some of his recordings in his garage band on his like MacBook Pro, and we got to hear the garage band versions of his um, music. Dalton Small is another realist fan. He remembers when Ashon started rapping in middle school. From what I hear, it's, it's done nothing but go up, so that's that's really cool to see. And you, you hear some of his old stuff compared to his stuff now, and it's just like, wow, it's got, it's gotten great. It's, it's done good. He's nothing but the chillest guy you'll ever meet and down to earth and always down to have a good time, hang out with your friends kind of guy. Yeah, so. After his set, Realist hops off the stage sweaty and energized. Feel good. It's a good show. Uh, sweaty, so worked hard. But this isn't his first rodeo. When he's not fishing himself, Realist is producing his music across the U.S., from Atlanta to Hollywood. Realist started rapping when he was about 12 years old. He says the rap icons of the early 2000s helped shape his sound. Uh, I mean, probably, yeah, Eminem, 50 Cent, Lil Wayne. Uh, Lil Realist X, that's my stage name. And I got that from one of 50 Cent songs. He said in the lyric, remind me that you're rocking with the Realist. And he was like such a big influence on my life. So I was like, I'm going to use that. So I'm a little realist. And then X is just me finding myself. 
Relis says growing up in Alaska also had a major impact on his art. He was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and adopted by a family in Petersburg when he was six months old. I mean, you don't really know any different until you, like, go down south. But, I mean, we were driving four-wheelers on the roads, uh, snowmobiles, a bunch of crazy stuff. A lot of snow, you know, not, not the big city stuff you normally do. His parents started taking him out fishing when he was eight years old, and he got his first full-time gig when he was 15. He lists the fishing industry as another major artistic influence. Fishing every day, you know, he's spending the time. It's not really working unless you're on the ground. I got the net coming in and it's full of fish. Big money, yo, it's all we wish. We don't want big waves because it sinks the boat. Wait. But Realist is stepping out. out of the grind and setting aside his nets for now. He got hurt in a fishing accident earlier this year. He was working with herring pounds, huge pens for holding the fish when they spawn. We are herring pounding in uh, Craig, Alaska, and we were setting the pounds on the beach. And I went up and jumped in the air and tried to twist one, but my spine twisted too far forward, and I crushed two discs. For now, he's taking a break from fishing. But, Rila says, he's come to understand that the lifestyle is a critical part of his artistic persona. He says rapping about his roots sets him apart from other artists. And it keeps him grounded in reality. Growing up and, you know, the older I get, the more I'm actually, like, feeling comfortable on presenting about life instead of just, you know, because you see everybody in the mainstream, it's like parties, big houses, and I don't got that. So it's more just like being real. Realist says the recovery period is giving him more time to focus on his music. He's trying to set up tours in Washington and Montana and looks forward to producing his next album in Detroit. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Big money, yo, it's all we wish. You don't want big waves because it sinks the boat. Wait, we got to fill up another tote. Hell a bit prices might go down, but I'm still going to fish out of P-Town. <laughs> You can find Lil Realist X's latest album, Diamond, on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Invasive green crabs are in Alaska, and they are destructive, outcompeting native species, and destroying essential eelgrass. At a workshop in Metlakatla last month, citizen scientists learned from experts how to look out for the invasive crabs in their own communities. Reagan Miller has more. Scientists and concerned Alaskans are at Tamagas Harbor. They're getting a first-hand look at the European green crab. And time is of the essence. The crabs showed up in southern southeast Alaska last summer, and more than 800 have been found since. It's like we hit the ground running coming out here. Taylor Stumpf is with the Wildlife Department of Metlakatla's tribe. He's helping people learn to identify, measure, and document the crabs. The workshop drew participants from around the region, including Ketchikan, Cake, and Prince of Wales Island. For now, Metlakatla is the only place in Alaska to document live green crabs, which are destroying vital eelgrass and habitat for abalone, clams, and dungeness crabs. But that doesn't mean they won't spread. That's why the workshop, which was organized by local, state, federal, and tribal agencies, focused on training people to identify the crabs and alert authorities before it's too late to control the spread. People aren't allowed to kill the crabs themselves, but they are encouraged to collect information and alert authorities. That's what the workshop is teaching them to do. Stump explains a few key tells for a crab that doesn't belong. 
they have the five spines on either side of the eyes and then the three bumps in the middle. So we've been teaching people with guides how to identify the crabs. Iwa Booth is showing people how to set and bait different kinds of traps. She's an intern with Melakatla's wildlife department. She says the tribe has been experimenting with what works best. They usually like chum and herring fish. Um, we haven't really used cat food like they suggested. Booth says she's noticed a difference on the beach since the first crab was found last year. Eelgrass is important because it's like habitat for other clams and like juvenile fish, um, juvenile salmon. So it was kind of a worry for us when they first arrived. And I've noticed that they've gotten a lot shorter too, like the eelgrass. There's no surefire way to eradicate the crabs once they've arrived. But Janelle Winter, Metlakatla's invasive species coordinator, says the key is to just keep finding them. She says Metlakatla has always protected its resources, and that's what the town will keep doing. It just sharpened everybody's um, need or awareness to protect those resources, right? Like those resources were already super precious. It's, it's wanting to make sure they stay intact. Each female crab is capable of laying hundreds of eggs. In Metlakatla, green crab catching is a full day's work. Just ask Gabriel Nathan. Yeah, we've been catching uh, a lot when they were molting when they're uh, trying to hatch eggs and everything. And we caught like over probably 40 green crab with eggs still attached to them. And that slowed down a lot, so it was great. The workshop's message is also one of hope. If everyone learns to spot these crabs, maybe there's a way to protect other communities. Trey Patterson with Metlakatla's Wildlife Department says that's the goal. I think that the state or other places near us were taking it as seriously as we were. So to see something like this happening today here on the island, it's great to see that more people are taking this issue seriously. Patterson says everyone has a stake in stopping the crabs and that things will get even worse if the crabs keep moving north. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. Bristol Bay's busiest time of year is almost here, and thousands of people are expected to arrive in the region to fish and process salmon. Those travelers now have another option to fly between Anchorage and King Salmon this season. Aleutian Airways will begin flying the new route this Thursday. The initial schedule includes two round-trip flights from Anchorage to King Salmon daily one in the morning and one in the mid-afternoon. In a March press news release, President and CEO Wayne Heller called the new route a next step for the company's growth plan in Alaska. Aleutian Airways began commercial flights from Anchorage to Dutch Harbor last fall, and Heller says the airline wants to bring the same level of service to people flying to and from King Salmon. A quick search on the airline's website shows one-way tickets in mid-June cost between $200 and $300. Until now, Alaska Airlines was the only company that had regularly scheduled flights between King Salmon and Anchorage.